Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casello, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Syracuse basketball's back, baby. Be back. Uh, we're uh, we're only like we're only just like mildly relevant again. I feel like. Thanks for the input, James. Uh, I feel like we're 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 back to being what looks like a capable program that can win games on a night-to-night basis. Um, we're playing reasonably good defense. Um, the team's ability to generate offense um, right now is kind of harping on, you know, Buddy Bayheim most importantly, but other people are getting involved. And the fact that we're not just leaning on Elijah Hughes, um, I think is really helping what this team's able to do. And I think it's helping the overall team coherence that like, we're not just doing that whole one man team thing that we saw with Tyus battle for much of last season. No, I, I mean, I think obviously buddy having his outburst is, is good. And, you know, we saw a little bit of this here and there last season, but I think this is like even better than we expected, you know, on this, this brief run he's had um, for his sophomore year. And you can kind of really see the vision of he's, I think it's not crazy to say he's one of the best pure shooters in the ACC. Um, he's fifth in scoring in ACC play right now. Like, that's all. I mean, I did not expect him to be averaging 16 points in conference. That's great. Like, I would have probably expected more towards 12 and 13, a couple hot games bringing that up. Um, but him emerging as, like, a legit number two offensive weapon uh, behind Elijah. And even, like, Elijah didn't have a very good game against Virginia Tech. Um, I think they did a really good job of making his life difficult. And to be able to take advantage of that is something we were not doing earlier in the season. Um, I have, I think, uh, and <laughs> this sounds like ridiculous to like have to even say it, but since it was like such a thing just a couple weeks ago, um, I think Jim Bayham's doing a really good job with this team. Uh, he's like, I mean, just, just in that last play against Vatek, like having the, the, uh, just being willing to put in a lineup that we hadn't used in like a month and doing something different, doing something, um, situation based, which isn't always his game. Um, and just experimenting like that uh, is, is something we don't always see from Beheim. And uh, I do think he's starting to push the right buttons. It just might have taken him uh, some, some like growing pains along with the team uh, with this roster, which is a very different one than we've had the last couple of years. So uh, it's still a, a, an uphill climb. Um, I think the, uh, I forgot what site I was on. One of the, one of the advanced uh, metric sites um, had us at like a 9.5% chance to make the tournament. And as of now, I think that seems about right, but like, that's probably a lot higher than we were uh, just like three games ago. Uh, right. So it's all you can really ask for with how things got started. Um, we talked about it last week, like the ACC being so weak this year, the weakest I can remember it probably since like the, before we were in the league um, is such a blessing and a curse because there, there really doesn't feel like a game that we're definitely not going to win. Um, but like these wins end up not meaning nearly as much as like your normal ACC season. If this was like a normal strength ACC and we were playing the way we are now, I'd be like, oh, wow, we have, like, a huge opportunity to get back in this. Um, and now you kind of have to hope, like, I hope Vatek and Virginia, now that we're done with both of them for the year, like, really ball out from here on out. And they're both, you know, good, not great ACC teams. I think Vatek's probably better than Virginia at this point. But um, it's an issue. But, you know, just keep on winning the games and see what happens is, is honestly all we can ha- uh, ask for right now. And for the last couple of weeks, like, they've been doing it. Yeah, I mean, Virginia's down to 44th in Ken Palm. That's only about eight spots above us. Uh, luckily, that's not the only metric being used. And we have a couple, uh, you know, Q1 road wins. That's great. Um, we have a chance to pick up more, even better. Uh, I'll still stick to my guns, though, that um, 
like we said last year, we were discussing this, that stretch um, where we faced, you know, Duke, NC State, Louisville, Florida State. Um, I think you got to, if you can get two of those, I think you stand a really good chance of being in, provided you like get the job done elsewhere. Um, if you go one and three or God forbid, oh and four in that stretch, um, I don't think there's enough other like really great wins out there for, for Syracuse to get into the field, barring some sort of, you know, miraculous run in the ACC tournament that, that picks up a couple like more quadrant one uh, victories. Uh, I know a lot of people are getting excited and I don't want to pour, you know, any like cold water on that um, excitement. It's great to have the team like seem a little more relevant and seem more exciting and, and fun again. But um, we'll definitely say like, let's be cautiously optimistic for now, but, but also deal in, in, in realism that there's still a, a long way to go. And it's, it's, you can't just erase the struggles of the non-conference schedule overnight. So I think, like you said, you know, Jim Beheim's really pushing some of the right buttons. And I think the buttons that really would have been great if we saw months ago, um, as much as, you know, Jim's taking a lot of flack, I feel like at the early parts of this year, that's cooled down a little bit as you've seen some semblance of a game plan and some semblance of adjustments um, that seem to address the, the critique. So whether or not Jim's reading, you know, what's said about the team, what's written about the team, um, he certainly understands, you know, better than anybody else what's wrong with the team um, and has been able to make some tweaks. Um, and I'm glad that that those tweaks are, are resulting in wins now. And it's really not that hard to, to imagine a reality where, you know, this Syracuse team is is six and one in league play and, and, and no, we're not receiving votes um, in the poll necessarily, but um, we definitely look like a, a contender among the top half of the ACC and among the top, like probably third of the ACC versus right now that we're kind of hanging around in a very muddled middle um, of the conference. Yeah, it, it does make those two losses hurt uh, a bit more just because we were so close to getting them and then we immediately rattle off these three wins. So it's like not crazy to think like, oh, we could be tied for first in the ACC at sits and one, you know, with a couple of plays going our way. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it, it is tough because it wasn't like that was like three weeks ago and we're like, oh, we weren't ready yet. Like it was just, you know, right on the other side of this run. Um, but overall, like, I, I think you can just be, you can just hope to embrace the improvement during the year. And then if we don't make it, like it is what it is, but you hope that this is something to translate into or like to, to keep the momentum going forward for next season. Um, but it is nice, like especially when we talked about it last week, um, seeing Howard Washington play real minutes and really bring the steadying force to the team, especially like you can really count on him when the team is starting to hit like a bit of a, a rut in the middle of a half. Like he'll come in. He's a good ball. He moves the ball well. Uh, the ball doesn't stick really when he's in the game at all. Um, it just gives like a slightly different feel and kind of helps, I think, get this team out of a rut a little bit. Um, and then Garrier continues to provide just tremendous energy like, you don't see the types of the, the the type of recruit he was like one of our you know bigger guys coming in and obviously you know could have been higher rated. You know, we talked about it before. He's coming from from Montreal, which isn't a, a super hotbed like Toronto is. Um, but to see a guy who came in with a, a decent amount of hype um, really embrace like that that energy forward off the bench role and and getting better and better by the game and really becoming a presence in the middle, a presence on the on the uh, on the glass especially um, is nice and and. I feel like every week we talked about him taking a, a bigger and bigger role, even to the point like, and this wasn't a great shot, I don't think, but down the stretch when we were um, trying to pull this one out, like wasn't afraid to shoot an open corner three. I, I don't know that that's the shot that Bayham wants him to take, but I'm kind of glad that he has enough, um, you know, he, he has uh, enough confidence to, to take that shot in rhythm, even if he didn't make it. And even if it might not have been the exact play I wanted to see there, he's not like just like, 
panicking with the ball and, and unsure of what to do. So I think he's going to keep on getting better. Um, I mean, Buddy's playing at like a borderline all ACC level. Uh, Elijah, mm-hmm. I think, is starting has gotten a lot of respect this year from the national or from the uh, the conference-wide media. I think people know how good he is. So, yeah, it's a, it's a much different conversation than we were having a month ago. I'd say even a couple of weeks ago, like the, yeah. the, the, the fact that like, you know, you and I have joked for years and others have too, that like, you know, Dolajai was eventually going to be, you know, a very, a very hated and feared player, um, you know, in, in the ACC. And I think you're, you're starting to see that now as, as he kind of fills a role that like looks like stereotypical Duke guy um, in, in a lot of ways uh, where he's, he's become even scrappier, but taking the scrappiness and turning that into actual production on the offensive end, I think is something we haven't seen with consistency. Um, he's looked, I think, really good for, for stretches of this year. Um, no, we haven't necessarily seen the three ball come along the way it seemed like we were going to, but you know, he's already, he's already only 20 uh, field goals made away from his uh, career high uh, from his freshman year when he was largely just kind of running to the ground with the rest of the Syracuse team. Um, he's been a force on the boards and he's going to surpass his uh, career high there. Uh, he's done a really, he's almost at his career high in steals already, almost at his career high in blocks, um, assists are almost at his career high. So like, he, he's done a really nice job of, of progressing his overall game. Um, I just love the the energy that he's been able to bring. And again, translating that energy into production on, on both ends, but especially on the offensive end um, has been a huge boost. I think Buddy, Dan, did you ever picture when when Buddy committed um, that that we'd be seeing him running down the floor in an ACC game saying they can't guard me? <laughs> no. Um, I didn't really know what to make of Buddy committing at the time. Um, there's been such this, like, especially in football, like there's been this real uh, national and I think much needed conversation um, about, like, the sons of coaches. And it's, it's, it's different with players because, like, it becomes very obvious if players can play or not, whether or not they're their uh, coach's son. Um, but I, I think Buddy is on the one end of that where, like, I don't think – and I, I, I could be being naive. I don't think if Buddy wasn't an ACC player, Jim would have encouraged him to come to Syracuse. I think he would have given him a spot because, you know, he's his dad. Um, I, but we saw with, with, uh, with Jimmy Beheim like – Encouraged he, him to go elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, he told him Cornell was probably the move, and like maybe he could have come to Syracuse and walked on, and maybe by his senior year he could have played a, a you know some minutes. I mean, he's a good player. Like I still, I know this. People have told me this is unlikely. I still, in the back of my mind, I'm like he's in a tra- grad transfer here. Although I think that is out of the question because of Cornell's. I don't know something with Cornell, Cornell how Ivy leagues work. But anyway, um, I just for some reason I, I always think he's going to end up here somehow. Um, if he red shirts. Because I think he can still, well, isn't it dependent on, like, if he decided to redshirt next year, then he'd be able to, but otherwise... I think that's probably it, like, and which seems unlikely. Right. Um. Anyway, like, I... I so, he, Jim taking Buddy... Actually, first, honestly, the first thing that made me think he's a, he's a good player, Mark Few offered him. Um. And I don't think that was because Mark Few and, Jimmy are, uh, and Jim are close. I know they are, but, like... You know, this isn't football where you can just go like offer some some player who may or may not be good. Like, uh, especially with Gonzaga, like these spots they don't turn over spots that quickly. They bring in a lot of transfers and whatnot, but like they're usually a three or four year program. So once Gonzaga offered, I think Georgetown of all teams offered. Like you start getting legit attention, and it was always pretty clear. Like if he had the chance, he was going to come here. I knew he'd be like a player. I did not expect him to be top five in ACC and storing year two. I didn't expect him to to honestly do what he did at the end of last year 
basically pulling out an ACC tournament win. So uh, it's, it, I mean, he's, he's done a, I still think he'll be a four-year player for us, but like he's legit probably going to be a 20 point store for us by senior year, which is crazy. We, we, like, I did not yeah, it that. seems like nonsense. <laughs> like, <laughs> seems like nonsense. And yet, yeah. Like, uh, you know, I saw some Virginia tech fans talking about it on Twitter where they were kind of like, yeah, you know, the talk was that he like didn't deserve the spot, but he's very clearly an ACC player. And like, I, I saw Mark Barber basically like, I just think they had been talking about that all week or like, it had been like a thing down there, mm-hmm. which I get. Like, I, honestly, I understand like looking at a roster and being like, what's Bayheim's kid doing there? Why is he starting? Et cetera. And if you didn't really see him at the end of last year, I totally get like why you would throw doubt on him. Um, yeah. I mean, I, it's, what can you say? Like, he's just been really, really good. Um, and he's it hit more not, threes than anybody else in the ACC. He's hit more threes than anyone else. And he's not even like, like in that 18 point barrage he had, was it nuts. wasn't just threes. He was cutting to the basket. He uh, has this really nice head fake now, uh, which I think was talked about in the, in the duty Ares piece on the athletic, which is really good. If people haven't read that shout out to a, a different publication <laughs> um, uh, about basically about buddy learning his shot, uh, which is just so quick. And um, it just helps like, we, I, I think it almost helps him that we can't really take him off the floor at, for long stretches. Like you can go, uh, you can go Howard, Washington, and uh, Gerard. Although I don't know how many minutes we've put in that with that lineup, but um, but he's become kind of invaluable. And it's uh, yeah, I mean the, the numbers speak for themselves. So no, I, I I totally didn't expect this to be him by his sophomore year, but um, I'm really excited to see him with this like really serious confidence now. Um, how he how he progresses forward because it's it's a lot of fun to watch oh yeah i mean this is like like really as much as i said like dolajai could be like the duke guy i think buddy Bayheim is the duke guy um it, uh, on this team i think he's the duke guy to everybody else except for us and duke <laughs> right now where buddy Bayheim is the guy that we would get just vehemently annoyed by um you know at cameron indoor and now he's again a guy who like plays He's getting better on the defensive end. I still think he's another year away, but in the meantime, he's making up for it by, yeah, this week, you know, he was co-ACC player of the week. Um, he had 22 points against BC and 26 against Virginia Tech. Um, he scored in double digits um, every game since the uh, December 7th game against Georgia Tech. Uh, in that time, he's had uh, five 20-point games, uh, three games where he scored at least 25 points. Um, Even the Virginia game where he was ice cold all day, Right at the end of uh, what's the end of the second half, he just went off and then still hit that and, shot, and then hit the ridiculous shot in overtime. Like, and that's one of the most impressive things. Like, there we've seen we've had players who you know there were nights where they were just you couldn't they couldn't hit anything, and Buddy just I think there were times last year where he wasn't confident, and now he just has a he has a green light, and if there's like a benefit to being the coach's son, like not that I don't think Jim would pull him if he if he thought he needed to, but like. He, he has all types of confidence this year, and he's not afraid to shoot that A3 if he's one for seven, which is, is huge. Like, you need to do that. If you're, the, if you're as important to the team as Buddy is, like, that's a, a necessary thing. Yeah, this is, uh, this is basically the Buddy Beheim episode. Um, I feel like last week we talked about uh, him being really good, and then he proceeded to play even better um, over the weekend. Uh, as I joked in the uh, co-player of the week article, uh, BBB now stands for uh, Big Buddy Bayheim, since uh, he's definitely been playing his way again, playing his way into the hearts and minds of America. And uh, I, I don't want to overhype now because I'm sure we'll get slapped back by karma uh, for this. But like, I I definitely 
I definitely see a reality now where, where he is able to, to carve out maybe not all ACC honors, but really like potentially all ACC honors um, and, and, and turn into like a really, really uh, interesting career uh, for SU um, that hopefully actually gets enhanced by maybe some, you know, greater talent around him too um, that allows him to be more of a, a, not a specialist, but somebody who we don't have to lean on as heavily. Yeah, I mean, if he wants to continue on and have the same kind of game he had in Notre Dame last time, uh, where he was, uh, I just reminded myself, 7 of 12 for 3, 23 points. Like, if he wants to blow up on them and we actually pick up the win here, um, that'd be a nice continuation. But I think if he if he continues on this path, like, he's, I think he's, that'd be like third team, at least. I mean, yeah, it, it, as weird as it seems, uh, I, I think that the possibility is really out there, which is, uh, which is odd and, and, and scary to think about. Uh, and then, like, and not to jump too far into the future, but, you know, again, we are still pretty far out of the tournament picture, so we might have to. Um, I mean, I think Joe Girard's been better than we thought. And obviously, he's more up and down as a freshman, not unlike what Buddy was last year. Um, but I think we've gotten more out of Joe, and he's proven himself more than we expected as a true freshman. Um, and talk about confidence, like, that kid has it in spades. Imagine next year a, the, the sophomore Joe Girard, uh, junior Buddy Bayheim backcourt, both potentially shooting like 40% from three. Like that's terrifying. Some, some, some real Eric Devendorf energy on that team. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, like tons of it. Yeah. Buddy, buddy, a little more uh, Devo than I think we probably thought we were getting Gerard. I think we all knew um, looks, if you watched literally any second of his high school footage um, literally was just like, you know, that kid talks, talks crap like the entire time he plays, which I, I appreciate um, to a, to an extent at least. Uh, Buddy definitely. I I again did not think I would see a clip of Buddy very clearly saying he can't guard me about uh, a player on uh, on any like NCAA tournament type team. <laughs> that 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 was the most enjoyable part to me. I was watching the game on my phone uh, from a bar, and uh, it, I, I kind of just laughing my ass off uh, <laughs> for for much of the game, uh, other than when I got nervous when we almost blew the entire lead. Yeah, I mean that's every game though. Um, but that's Syracuse in a nutshell. I really need Buddy to uh, to like somehow break Joey Baker's ankles when we play Duke uh, in, a, in a couple weeks here. Be delightful. Oh, it'd be so good. Um, why don't we take a quick break for our sponsor here, and we're back. I'm going to talk a little bit more about basketball before we get to halftime. Some football. Um, Dan, what's the scariest game uh, on this schedule? Like. For you, like, like, what's the game? I guess that that really kind of dictates whether or not this team's going to be able to to get back into some sort of NCAA tournament conversation. Um, I think I mean it's very easy to just limit this thing to the three ranked, like the three really highly ranked teams in the ACC, like the clear top three that we have. Um, I'm going to go Florida State actually on the road. I think like Duke and Louisville are both very good. Um, I think they are both beatable. Um, as is Florida State, but. Florida State still does that thing where they have just a lot of players to throw at you. Um, They have, I want to say, seven guys playing over 20 minutes and a couple others playing over 10 minutes per game this year. Um, And then another one playing nine who's played in almost all but one game. So, like, they they can go nine or ten deep. um, At at the worst, they're going eight deep on you. And we've seen, like, I think our our depth limitations are getting a little better because... Uh, Darier is playing pretty much equal minutes to uh, City Bay now, and Howard Washington is carving out more of a role. Um, 
But like that's kind of the extent of it. And we've seen and Florida State's super talented as well. So I'm always afraid of those teams that can throw a lot of guys at you and you just have one heat up. Um, it's not a great shooting team, but they're still they're very big, which they always are. Um, I could see them getting us in foul trouble. Uh, so that one on the road, uh, just weirdly, I think gives me the the, the biggest concerns. Because we've played well against Louisville recently. We we played Duke about as tough as anyone that's not like elite elite um, in recent years. Uh, so we played as well as North Carolina has, to be honest. True. Yeah. Uh, and and I think it ran the numbers. On, yeah, I think it ran the numbers on that like last season. I think we the, like only one other team is a better record. I think Virginia is the only team with a better record against them than us in the last like six or seven years. Yeah, basically since we entered entered the conference. Yeah. So yeah, and and Duke being at the dome, I think. I, I mean, we played him at Paul at Cameron too. Um, arguably better at Cameron than we played him at the dome. But um, yeah, I'll do Florida State. Fair. Yeah, it's a weird game. It's a uh, post Valentine's Day nooner. Ooh, yeah, which, that's a uh, lot, lot, lot of peril there. Actually, to be honest, more be more peril for Florida State than us. It could be. It's a Saturday nooner, which we've seen. I mean, I, I remember being at Cuse like that. That for whatever reason, there's always like an afternoon game the Saturday after Valentine's Day, yeah. or if it's Valentine's Day that day. Um, noon Saturday games, not great. <laughs> no. Not, not great. And honestly, I think almost not. I think almost worse for the home team. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have the trappings of being at home and like being able to hang out with friends or go the out. Crowds hung over. Yeah. Crowds hung over like AK and like not there. Um, granted, I know like the dome in particular sounds like cacophonous when empty. Um, but any venue, if it's only half full uh, for a noon game is going to sound like a little too quiet. So that's an interesting one for me. I'm actually going to go with the game before that. Um, NC State. Um, just because I think that's a really good gauge of where this team is. Um, SU could conceivably uh, reel off another three straight wins here against Notre Dame, Pitt, and Clemson. Um, I'm not going to put much stock in the Duke game in terms of like a measuring stick unless we win, and in that case, sure. But uh, I think realistically, like there's a chance to go four and one over the next five, which is an awesome stretch for SU if they can do it. Um, NC State's kind of going to be like where the season either is off like a rocket or like, goes down precipitously because then if you lose nc state you could very easily lose to florida state and louisville um and then find yourself you know in in the same exact perilous situation you were in just like a couple weeks ago yeah and that's a team that we've i think weirdly struggled against relative to like the other teams of that caliber um but they'll also need that one because like they're not totally in like i think they're in good shape but um definitely like can't afford to go on a, a major stid certainly not um why don't we do a little halftime? And uh, Dan, what have you been drinking of late? Uh, Dan, like I didn't hit up any good, any great beer bars. I was watching the game at a bar last night. Unfortunately, uh, my Packers got blown out, and then it got closer, and then ended up being not so close. Um, but it was mostly just drinking kind of standard, like ambers. I've, I've been on, like a real amber kick recently, um, but a lot of Shiner Box, uh, some Abita ambers, which are quite good um but yeah again nothing nothing too great i don't know why i just haven't haven't gotten out to a, a great beer bar like in the last couple of weeks so um we'll hopefully mend that soon probably when the super bowl's over and i have a little more time to be more adventurous fair enough fair enough um apologies on your packers i was obviously rooting against the 49ers because i hate bay area sports um was a bummer to see that the Packers lost when I got off the plane from Chicago yesterday night. Um, speaking of Chicago, I uh, drank quite a bit over there. Um, I was over at Dry Hop Brewers and had their uh, Wolfman uh, West Coast IPA as well as their uh, drink beer, Play Atari. 
Czech Pilsner, had a Corridor Brewings, a Wizard Fight IPA, as well as their uh, Little Big Pills um, at Beer Miscuous. I had the uh, Dovetail Breweries, uh, Hell's Lager, stopped over at Off Color Brewing, and had the uh, Prisoner's Dilemma, uh, Spice Beer, as well as um, Apex Predator, uh, Saison, and the uh, Tooth and Claw Lager that they had. Um, stopped over at one of my favorite bars in Chicago, uh, Map Room, for the uh, Half Acre uh, Bodum, their IPA. At uh, Middlebrow, I had Secret Crush, a session IPA that was really good. Um, of course, had to have some zombie dust. Um, had some anti-hero IPA at Revolution Brewing, as well as their uh, Fist City Pale Ale. Uh, at Grand Central Brewing, I had their Citra Blonde Ale that was pretty good. And then I had a Goose Island Green Line Pale Ale at the Bulls game. That was actually a lot of fun. Bulls were down by 20, came back and won. Um, me and a friend of mine had money on the game. Crabs go nuts. Pretty good time. Um, and then I had some Alpha King from Three Floyds. And that was it. Eventful eventful few days of drinking in uh, in Chicago. Very nice. Map Room is a great spot. I went there, I think, at your recommendation when I was there in April. So, yeah, very good spot. Yeah, a lot of cool bars around there, too. I mean, in general, you can kind of just, like, trip and fall into a great bar in Chicago. Right. But, yeah, there's a lot of awesome stuff, so... Highly, highly recommended. If you're in Chicago, go there. If you that little known Chicago, city, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't been to Chicago, you should probably go at some point if you can. Um, football. So, not going to talk about it too much. But after last week's scheduling um, foray, did think it was worth mentioning a little bit more about you know where SU's schedule should fall in the next few years. I know the uh, ACC football schedule is getting released um, for 2020 on Wednesday. Uh, so that'll be something that we'll be sure to cover. I know a couple weeks ago I predicted kind of where the games will fall. Uh, we'll see if we end up getting that uh, week one game against Clemson. If not, we might end up with a bye, and that's going to piss off a lot of people, self-included. Yeah, as bad as like the week one against Clemson is, at least you kind of did it out of the way. Right. Um, week one bye is awful. <laughs> I really don't want that at all. Hopefully, at least like we've like maybe we've negotiated to move one of the other games up there. I don't. I think there was one that we looked like we might be able to do. It was potentially one. I know right now the problem is there were five teams with a week one opening in the ACC. Ugh. Why are like, I guess we're bad at it, but like. Everybody's there, bad. No Where we're overlooking this? No, no, nobody cares. I'm the I'm the only I'm, I'm probably spending more time on it than anybody. When will someone, one of the leaders of these conferences, and it probably has to be like Sankey, because I don't like whoever the, replacing Delaney, I don't think will have like the clout. Like, can someone just can we call like a halt to scheduling and just fit someone say like let's be smart like can we just all stop doing this and do like two years out and i this is like not a new soapbox for me but like someone just needs to to take control of the situation and just be like guys this doesn't help anyone no one's buying season tickets three years in advance no one knows what their team's going to be like three or four years in advance or 10 years in advance for some of these things like the like you're getting like purdue scheduling things out in 2036 like i get i almost did alabama doing it if you're purdue you have no idea what your team's going to be in 15 years. They're going to have four coaches between now and then, at least. Like, it's just so asinine. And, like, I'm just begging someone, anyone in any position of power, 
um, to say like, hey, let's just like all as a group, as an entire college football community, because it's not good. For, I don't know who it is good for, um, aside from maybe the the, the TV uh, the TV people, but like they'll still get good matchups if they just do it quickly. Like we do it in college basketball every year. Um, not that that's the best example for like TV interest early in the season, but football like prints money. Ugh, it just bothers me so much that we can't figure out like as a group just coming together say we're only going to schedule things out two years and you will find out two years in advance who you're playing way in advance of selling season tickets etc cetera, etc cetera. just so dumb yeah i would agree uh i know we've talked about that quite a bit around here but it is incredibly frustrating to see um you know the the, the continual nonsensical um construction of schedules nobody needs a week one by um i think that's like the one week where everyone should be in action as well as the last week. I think really like weeks one and week 13 should be yes. like every, everybody in action. There's no reason why you should miss that. I know USC is like had 12 straight games in like two of the last three seasons for some reason. I I think is it in part because of how the Notre Dame rotation goes. The Notre Dame game just gets like messed around. I mean, realistically like Notre Dame can slot in wherever um, other than the five ACC games. Like, I don't see any like it's it's and that game has appeared anywhere from October to I think it's been September before season. too. Yeah, or, like it's like been everywhere. Year. Yeah, there's nothing stopping that game from like like that game's not preventing anything from happening. Like they're just they just get weird. And then like the UCLA game is usually one of the last few weeks of the season, but not always the last week. The Stanford game is usually somewhere in November, but not necessarily there. And sometimes it ends up in September, like. There's just, there's a lot of weird things, but none of those things force USC to do that. And I feel like there's like, there's other programs too that just have like weird schedule oddities. Speaking um, of schools that I fully, I mean, I don't know, USC scheduling issue. Okay. The lights just went out at NC State, Virginia in the middle of a play. <laughs> and now it's just like flashing green. Oh, perfect. That was so weird. It was like a horror movie. I thought That's it was my TV for a second. That was bizarre. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, it just stopped. The lights came back on. That was really strange. Um, I If there's a stool that I can guess has similar scheduling issues to us, aside from the fact they're a bigger name brand, so they're able to get like some of the marquee games out, I would I would bet USC like every so often has their like catches themselves with their pants down and like oh would, we need you, a game you, for two years from now. You, you would not be uh, wrong there. Uh, <laughs> on top of uh, having. They're they're one of the only teams in the Power Five conferences that has like about as many games scheduled as we do through like twenty thirty five. Um, they just have the Notre Dame game every year, so they don't have to worry about the Power Five thing. Yeah, like I don't even have like realistically like the Notre Dame contracts only right now through twenty twenty six. I'm sure it'll just get renewed. Right. Um, but right those now those it's only always renewed in perpetuity. Yeah, yeah those are always renewed. So twenty twenty six, like I have it right now, like via FB schedules, like everything that has been confirmed on paper um is there um i know they are trying to get out of uc davis game for 2021 because enough people p- got pissed off that they were finally scheduling an fcs team the so lights went out they're trying to get out of that game corner three and they're on a 13-0 run <laughs> so this is at virginia though so <laughs> I, I really was hoping um that virginia wasn't hot i've like only been vaguely paying attention i was really hoping uh that like the lights went out during like an nc state run <laughs> but no the, the lights went out. Virginia wouldn't do that. They're they're a, a institution of great uh, moral standards. Um, yes. Anyway, sorry. This whole thing. Really <laughs> anyway, 
The UC yeah, Davis yeah. thing is so, funny because, like, it's not like the Big Ten where they pretended like they cared for a long time until Rutgers and Maryland came in. They're like, oh, yeah, by the way, it doesn't matter because Rutgers schedules two of these every year. Um, yeah, but USC pretends to care is the problem. Like, I think because USC, Notre Dame, and UCLA, like, pretend that they care about this, like, really, like, a lot. Like, their fans, like, <laughs> very much care about this. Like, hey, USC- to be honest, Syracuse fans cared about this until, like, pretty recently. That's true. I think it's like more of a recent vintage. I like don't remember exactly when it like stopped becoming a thing. Um, well, it stopped becoming it, yeah, because like I think before, because it hadn't happened until you were like a freshman. Yeah, like, before that, a... like people, it was a point of pride, like before like two thousand eight, that like SU hadn't like played an FCS team. Well, yeah, my freshman year we played Northeastern and almost lost, um, right. and then Northeastern folded their program. Um, <laughs> As one does. <laughs> Um, because they lost to G Rob. Um, like we very much almost lost to Northeastern. And I don't know if that was the first FCS we played, but yeah, maybe it was I one think of the first. It was, I'm pretty positive it was. Because you never lost to one. We've come real close. Yeah. <laughs> where we are, where we are, the Villanova game. Uh, the Villanova the, game. The main, the main game, too, really. Uh, the second one. Yes. The main game was like there was some like chicanery. Like they were they were like pulling out like the real like David strategies on us. Villanova almost just beat us straight up, as did Northeastern. Um Thanks uh, Terrell Hunt for, for, for punching a guy in <laughs> was in that situation. I oh, I, 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 I I'd horrifyingly watch a thirty for thirty about that game. Ugh. Yeah, horrifying. Um but yeah, you were right. USC does have similar problem scheduling. Um but in reality, want- USC is in a better situation because they can just call up Fresno State or San Jose State whenever they want and just be like, hey, you guys want to come down here? Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. That's fine. See, you know, like, we don't want to do that with Buffalo for myriad reasons. And, and, and Buffalo is not even giving us the opportunity to now because they're scheduling themselves out forever. Yeah, they just signed with, uh, who was it? Uh, Minnesota and Army. Yes. Yeah, Buffalo's schedule is largely done through 2024. No, 2025, they have all but, like, two FCS games done, and then they already have, like, two per year for 2026 through 2028. So Buffalo knows how to schedule. Um, Syracuse does not. Uh, The one thing I wanted to bring up here was 2024. Now, last week we uh, joked that uh, the troops were going to prevent SU from um, adding a a non-Army team. Uh, we won't be going back to that meme well. Uh, however, it's worth noting that the only uh, Power 5 schools without a, uh, a 2024 P5 on the schedule are Syracuse and Washington State. Uh, BYU is also included on that list, not because they are a Power 5, but because the SEC and um, Pac-12, I, actually I think all the conferences include BYU as a, as a P5 that counts. If memory serves. Yeah, I, I know the Big Ten has like a bunch of other, like Cincinnati counts, UConn counts, Boise State counts, and a couple other schools count for... Um, UConn counting is hilarious. Yeah, it's just stupid. The Big Ten, I mean, if you look at Big Ten schedules too, like there's plenty of like teams that have already gotten around whatever rules there are. So realistically, I think Syracuse is going to end up avoiding um, adding a P5, if I had to guess, um, because if your choices are having a home and home with BYU uh, going to the Palouse or just asking the ACC for a waiver. I feel like option three feels like the best one. Yeah. And honestly, like if UConn counts for the big 10 army should count, like Army's a better <laughs> program than UConn right now. And for a couple of years now, um, I don't want to 
schedule like so the problem with the byu thing like if we're working under the uh for argument's sake um we're working as if byu we need one of these games i think you go wazoo just so you can clear two years uh with 2024 and 25 just because we're so bad at this and i know there are other options 25 i just feel like i'd feel comfortable taking the home and home hoping that uh, Wazoo becomes bad under uh, Rolovich, which I don't expect. I think he's a really good hire for them um, post-Leach. Um, and just getting rid of those two seasons because I don't trust us to, like, get well, Kansas we on the 25. Phone. We don't need 25, thankfully. Oh, do we not? Who, yeah, who's, uh... Notre, Notre Dame's in 25. Right, okay. So, yeah. See, in the short term, we're actually, like, decently well-positioned, except for the fact that 24, we're one of only two programs that need one. And then uh, we're good in 25 and 26 with Notre Dame games. Uh, I think Notre Dame games are both those years. Uh, we might end up uh, having to do the Wazoo yeah. thing anyway, because like BYU, like we could potentially need BYU, but BYU doesn't need us. Well, BYU, we can schedule like realistically whenever. And granted, I have my own issues with BYU from the same like, you know, morality issues in some respects as Liberty. Uh, but that's a whole nother thing. Uh, BYU wants to play us because, you know, we're not too far from the birth of the Mormon church. Um, in upstate New York. I think realistically, the problem is if we face Washington State, uh, we're not getting the return game there until 2030 based on our openings and theirs. Yeah, it's like Washington State's far from ideal. Like, it just doesn't do... Honestly, it's not ideal for anyone. It doesn't do anything for either program. There's no guarantee. Like, it would be... in in like last year, this would have been a super fun game. Um, like the the best Babers team versus like a I think Leeches. I think they were decent, and I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think they were pretty good uh, in 2019, 18, 19. Um, good, pretty. Yeah, I mean, as long as like Leech has been there, they this year was a bit good. down, but yeah, overall. still like I still think they were probably better. The problem is, I think like Washington State's not on my like list of front runs in terms of like P five programs that I want to face. The problem is. Everybody that we would think would be on the list, like every other program of our caliber thinks that too. Yes. Um, so like Purdue, Illinois, really even like Duke, uh, Rutgers, Kansas, Oregon State, Colorado, like are all like very high on the list. But the thing those programs are doing, which I think is smart, they're scheduling each other. We're just not smart enough to do that. So all those programs are scheduling one another and they're taking up future spots that now aren't going to be available for us. Yes. And we're, we're there's down. a lot of ACC teams that are not scheduled out very far. And the problem is, I think we keep saying, oh, we'll figure it out. Well, all the peer programs are scheduling each other. So we're going to be left with either like some bastardized, um, like non-conference conference game between these programs, which I hope not, or we're going to end up like overscheduling ourselves. Yeah. Like, what was it this year that we had the UNC Wake, uh, quote unquote, non-conference game? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I don't even hate that as much for them because at least they're like in-state There's another rivals. one in 2021. At least they're like in-state rivals that should play each other more often than they do um, if we had like a smart schedule scheduling practice and didn't have these stupid two divisions. Um, us, we don't really have that with anyone. Like there's no one I'm dying to play all the time in the Toastal. I'd like to play them all more often than we do, but there's no one I really care to like schedule as a non-Hufford's team if we can avoid it. Um so yeah, like it just kills me that we've been staring at like this, to, and because they're almost they're usually available up until you know pretty late in the process. We've talked about it for a long time. The Kansas just get them on for a basketball and football deal. Like other schools have done this now. It's just so smart and like works. It helps everyone 
um, helps take away some of the stupid, like, oh, Syracuse never travels to play anyone. And for basketball, um, and I'm sure there are some, I'm sure Bayheim wouldn't be thrilled with it, but like, how much fun would it be if we were able to get like hopefully two wins in football and then get a really nice home and home uh, game where we'd probably get 30,000 in the dome in November. Um, but in Kansas, it'd be great, but we haven't done that. And it doesn't seem like we're going to No, And uh, another team that we could do that with uh, that we actually have like some, you know, maybe hatred or animosity towards uh, Indiana. Indiana has uh, quite a few openings. Uh, they have, used football scheduling similar to us and that they haven't really gotten on it as quickly as they should have. Um, and there's a chance for us to be able to pull something like that off if we wanted to in like 25, 26 doesn't fix the 2024 gap, but it does fix something. We both so, needed a 27, 28 staring yeah. right there. Yeah. There's, there's some definite like opportunities here. Yeah. Yeah. 27, 28 was the, was the years that I was referring to. We both we do need 27, 28. Yeah. Yeah, could easily do that. You got Northwestern in 30 and 31. And then we're looking all right. I mean, there's still some openings, but you're looking all right there. I think, you know, once you hit like 2030, I feel like there's a, the list grows significantly. Um, 2030, 2031, really, uh, where the list grows quite a bit. And you look, you're looking at more than half the Power Five uh, isn't scheduled um, against another Power Five opponent by that point. So I'm not as concerned there. But these games are staring you right in the face. There's no reason, like, if everyone else is going to schedule them and, Clemson scheduled out to like 2040. So is Oklahoma, Alabama. Like you might as well just put the game, like especially if it's a straight up home and home, there's no money exchanged. Yeah. And it's not like we're doing, like, I hope we're not doing any stupid, like uh, neutral site things. I mean, I think the dome, I think SU would love to have us in the like Chick-fil-A game to start the season in Atlanta, which I wouldn't, but I understand I mean- why from a financial perspective. They would probably love it, but that that is us going down to get our our, blow, our doors blown off by Alabama like Duke did this year, and like I don't particularly see that as being the best thing. Like I know it's a nice payday, and if they did it, I'd probably just say, well, you know, it, it is what it is. Like we're probably not going to go twelve and zero anyway. So, but um, I also don't think we're nearly enough of a draw for that yet. So you need to build yourself up. Nothing yeah, Duke like- was, but I don't really know why Duke was in that game this year. Yeah, realistically, like if we like if we if we this year if we manage to put together seven or eight wins, if the year after we manage to put together seven or eight wins, um, then suddenly you're you're in that conversation where, like again, SU would love it because realistically it means they don't have to deal with the uh, the lack of a crowd for an FCS opponent to start the season. Um, for 2022, I'd like to avoid it because we already have two Power Fives for reasons unknown um, in Notre Dame and Purdue. Um, 2024 is really the year you're circling. Um, if you're looking for one of those games, maybe 2023, um, if you want to make things harder than, than you need to. I don't remember this off the top of my head. Um, please tell me we're not going to Indiana twice in a year. Uh, we are hosting Indiana teams twice in a year. Okay. That's not as bad. It's still I was, stupid. <laughs> I was like, you said you, I was forgot that we had Purdue and Notre Dame the same year. I'm like, I guarantee there is a situation in which we are both heading to South Bend and West Lafayette in a year for just absolutely no reason whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we we thankfully avoided that. We just uh, really want the next Tendall Coleman, like, real bad. We know we need to get to Indiana and recruit it as heavily as possible, that state with so many players. Like, I want to go, but I also don't to either of those. Like, I want to go to Notre Dame. It's really – I've been there. My cousin went there. Uh, I was there for a graduation. Really beautiful campus. Like, all – 
like hating Notre Dame things aside, it is a place to check out. Uh, Purdue, I know nothing about and don't really care to know. Yeah, like I have friends that went there, but I do think that like in general, like I'm not, I'm not dying to go to West Lafayette when you figure I probably still have to like stay in Indianapolis for the night, drive over for a game, drive back the whole deal. I don't know. doesn't seem as fun. Um, so maybe I end up going to a non-Syracuse game uh, that year. But yeah, this uh, there are some questions. I think 2022 stuff uh, we talked about last week. 2023, we're going to fill with an FCS team. 2024 is concerning um, because even if we are getting a pass on Army, um, there's still two more slots. Uh, one of those is a G5 team. I think we should schedule that sooner rather than later. Um, and then 2025, uh, same deal. We have Notre Dame, so we're set in terms of the Power 5 uh, opponent. However, um, still have two more slots. So there are concerns. Uh, like I said, I think the Army games and the Notre Dame games really do make up a lot of this schedule. And I think that that um, I think that's a good thing for SU, but it also bails them out quite a bit. Notre Dame series in particular really kind of gives them a free pass. Like if you take that game off the you take that game out of the equation, like the only power five teams they've scheduled in the last like couple of years are Rutgers after the Wisconsin series dro- fell through and Purdue, um, which I mean, great, but yeah, really haven't done much on scheduling front. Like 2017, it was like a rash of scheduling that I still feel like is basically to shut me up in particular. Um, and then since then we haven't really done much. Yeah. I love that. I love that. We just randomly got into uh, like full half episode scheduling talk. Um, which there was no real reason for it like this time of the year, but uh, we're probably overdue. That, that is one of the main tenets of this podcast. Agreed, agreed. Uh, Dan, anything else before we head out uh, for the week? Uh, no, I think that's, that's it. Just looking forward to uh, a suddenly like, I don't know, I was so far out on this basketball team not that long ago, and now they've pulled me back in in a big way. So hopefully they at least just keep on being fun, if nothing else. Agreed, yeah. SU's pretty good at that. Um you know, abandon all hope and then and drag it all back in uh, in record time. So uh, I'm looking forward to Wednesday's game. Um, hopefully it's another win. Hopefully yes, you can keep, you know, reeling them off before we head to the like harder part of the schedule. I'd very much like to enjoy watching the team um, in that time frame. If, if we get win these next two games at Notre Dame on Wednesday and then versus Pitt on Saturday, um, we will be what sits in three in ACC play, uh, 13 and seven overall. And then I think we are again, not right back in NCAA tournament hunt, but like, I think then that's where we'll start to see our name pop back up. on like off just off the bubble type discussions. Yeah, I completely agree. But you know, that's uh, I want to get ahead of ourselves. Let's uh, let's see what happens. Yes. The pitch game will stare me forever. Even if we beat them like pretty handily last year, I think we, we beat them every time we played last year. Right. That was like the first time in forever. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Like it'll still stare at me until like we really start to hammer our way at them. So, and I, I don't think they're that good this year. I know they just had a nice win. Who they beat? Oh, that was UNC. UNC is awful. So yeah. not such a nice win. <laughs> Formerly known as a nice win. Yes. Uh, on paper, if you have been paying no attention, not at, they were close with Louisville. They were close with Miami before that, but you know, it's Pitt. All right. Pitt closes us out here. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you everybody for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, anywhere else that you listen to your podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.